check out my new book, Coping Courageously, a heart-centered guide for navigating a loved one's illness without losing yourself. It's appropriate for you as a clinician, for your patients, and for anyone you know who has a seriously ill loved one or an aging parent. Check it out and tell a friend. Welcome to the Integrative Palliative Podcast. I'm Dr. Delia Caramonti, an integrative palliative medicine physician. If you are a physician or other healthcare provider passionate about taking care of people with serious or chronic illness, you are in the right place. Our motto is whole person care for people with serious illness using all the tools that work. Welcome, integrative palliative people. Today, we're going to talk about capacity and how to tell if your patient has capacity or does not have capacity. So let me start out with a story. I had this patient that we discussed in the ethics committee, and she was an older woman who had multiple medical problems, and she lived at home with a son who was really troubled by medical problems himself and was doing his best to take care of her, but maybe he wasn't doing a great job taking care of her. And at this point, she was so debilitated that she probably wasn't going to be able to get up and go to the bathroom herself. But the son and the patient had some ideas about, you know, neighbors can come in and a cousin can come in and they had some home nursing coming in. So somebody could clean her up twice a day and somebody was coming in a few times a week to give her um, a sponge bath in bed. So the hospital team felt like she's not safe to go home. And the fact that she wants to go home means that she doesn't understand how dangerous it is for her to go home and she needs to go to a nursing home. And so they called the ethics committee because the patient was saying she wanted to go home, but they thought the fact that she was making that choice by definition meant that she didn't have capacity to make that choice because they thought it was a bad choice. So first off, let's just put this out there. We're talking about capacity to make a decision, not competency competency is determined by a judge. So we as physicians do not determine if a person is competent or not competent. We determine if a person has capacity to make a particular decision. And the capacity is different for different decisions. So some people will have capacity to make a simple decision, but not a complex decision. Like they might have capacity to choose their medical power of attorney, but not to decide whether or not they're going to have a complicated surgery or start chemotherapy, for example. So capacity is based on the particular decision you're asking of them, and it can change. So if they just got a bunch of Ativan, they might have capacity right now, but they might have capacity again tomorrow to make the decision you want them to make. So capacity is the basis of informed consent because you can't have informed consent if you don't have capacity. So there are four things that we need to think about if we're trying to figure out if somebody has capacity. And the first is, can they demonstrate understanding of the situation? The second is, can they appreciate the consequences of whatever actions they choose? So do they understand what will happen if they do the thing or don't do the thing? The third is, can they demonstrate to us their reasoning? So it's not enough to say, I'm not going to do it because I'm not. They have to explain to us why, what is their reasoning for why they want to do or not do the treatment or the thing. And then four, they have to communicate their wishes. They have to be able to communicate their wishes to us in some way. So if somebody can demonstrate understanding, appreciate the consequences of their actions, demonstrate reasoning for why they're making a decision, even if we think it's a stupid decision, and they can communicate to us these things, then we can determine that they have capacity. 
So any physician can determine capacity. Sometimes people feel like we have to consult psychiatry, like they are the only ones who can determine capacity, but that's not true. Any physician can do it. We certainly can consult psychiatry if we want another opinion, or if we think that the person may not have capacity for a psychiatric reason, meaning because they have schizophrenia or because they're manic, then we definitely should consult psychiatry for their opinion. But if we're wondering if someone might have capacity because they have delirium, they have an infection, uh, maybe they have advancing dementia, any physician can determine that. And ultimately, it does come down to the final decision of the treating physician. So the treating physician might consult psychiatry and palliative care. We might disagree. That happens sometimes. Psychiatry might say no. They don't have capacity. Palliative care might say yes, we think they do have capacity. Ultimately, it is the treating physician, the hospitalist, who gets to make the final decision. And if it is found that the patient does not have capacity, then all further decisions get made by the surrogate decision maker or medical power of attorney if there is one. There are some formal tools that you can use, such as the aid to capacity evaluation. I'll be honest, I don't use them. I think that for me, a good history works just as well, but some people prefer to have a formal tool and that is perfectly fine. You do wanna take into account the patient's baseline cognitive ability and their baseline health literacy. So it isn't fair to hold somebody to a higher standard than they would have been able to reach when they were a perfectly healthy person. So if their health literacy has always been poor, and now we're trying to assess their capacity and we're trying to say they don't have capacity because of poor health literacy, we have to remember that that's their baseline health literacy and that's okay. And we're not going to take away their ability to make their own decisions just because they have poor health literacy. It's extremely important to make sure that the person can hear or that if they can't hear, you have done something to facilitate communication with them, like get their hearing aids or use a pocket talker, which is a microphone. Uh, the person wears headphones and the speaker speaks into a microphone and makes it louder for the patient so that they can hear. So for older patients who are hard of hearing, that can sometimes be helpful. Or if they're deaf, you have to make sure that you have an interpreter if they want one or that you are um, writing if they prefer that. So you have to make sure that you are communicating with the person in the way that they want to communicate. Also, of course, make sure if you're speaking in English that the person understands English well enough to understand the complexities of what you're talking about. And if not, you need to get a translator. We also have to make sure that we're not using medical jargon. Like, you know, if you say to somebody, we'd like your permission to perform a cholecystectomy and they look blankly at you or they shut down or they turn away, we don't want to say, oh, well, they clearly don't have capacity to make that decision because they just turned away and didn't say anything to me. Maybe they didn't know what you were talking about and they felt uncomfortable saying that they didn't know what you were talking about. So we have to make sure they can hear us, they can understand our language, they can understand the way we're using our language. We have to make sure that we are communicating in a way that works for them. And also, if we go see a patient and we're trying to get an important decision from them, but they seem like they may not have capacity right now, we should look at their medication list because sometimes people don't have capacity temporarily because we gave them a benzodiazepine or we upped their pain medicine or we gave them a ton of gabapentin and that makes it more difficult for them to be alert and understand what we're saying. So sometimes if there's a really big decision to be made, maybe we hold the 
benzodiazepine until the next day if it's safe for the patient to do so. And we go back and see them again and try again to see if they're more alert and able to make their own decisions. In addition, we want to make sure we assess them for depression and psychosis or a thought disorder. So we have to make sure that they are really in a place to make a decision, or if they have something that is treatable, that we treat that, see if we can get it under control so that they can make their own decision. Because obviously the ideal scenario is to get a person in a space where they can make their own medical decisions rather than having those decisions made by a a surrogate decision maker, medical power attorney, or the healthcare system. So what are some specific questions that you can ask people to get a sense of, do they have those four criteria? You can ask, what is your understanding of your condition? So not, well, you know, we talked about the fact that you had a heart attack and now your heart isn't working so well. You understand that, right? That doesn't tell us anything. You want to say, so tell me what you think is happening for your heart. What did the cardiology doctor, the heart doctor, tell you about what happened to your heart and how it's working? So what is your understanding of your condition? Then we want to ask, what is your understanding of the treatment options for your condition, including not doing anything? So we want to know what they think their options are. Like, well, the cancer doctor said that I could get chemotherapy, but it probably would make me very sick and it might not help me but I could also get radiation and that might help a little. And then you might want to encourage them. There's also the option for you not to do anything and tell me what's your understanding of that. And they could say back to you, yes, that's true. So I could do chemotherapy, I could do radiation, or I could do none of those things. Then you want to ask them, what's your understanding of the possible benefits and risks of doing that treatment or not doing that treatment? Or for the patient we talked about in the beginning, what are the benefits and risks of going home to live with your son versus going to a nursing home? So you might say first, so tell me what are, what are the benefits for you of going home to live with your son? She, I think, would have said she that's her home, that's her bed, that's her stuff, that's where she wants to be. And you might say, what's the benefit to going to a nursing home? She might say, I don't see any benefit to going to a nursing home. I don't want to go to a nursing home. If you pushed a little and said, well, could there be any benefit to going to the nursing home? She might say, well, I guess there's nurses there who could take care of me, but it's not worth it. I don't want to go. Then we would ask, so what are the risks? So what do you think are the risks of going home to live with your son? Hopefully she would be able to say, well, he has trouble getting up the stairs and so he might not be able to take care of me, but we have people coming in every day and we, this is what she said, we have arranged to get housing on a place that is on one level so that he will be able to get to me more easily because he won't have to go up the stairs. So I suppose the risk could be that I wouldn't be taken care of as often, but it's worth it to me because I want to be with my son and I want to be in my house. So the next question we could ask, what are you hoping will happen? Like, what's your goal for yourself? So this patient for sure would have said and did say, what I'm hoping will happen is I want to go home. I want to go home. That's my goal. I want to be at home. I understand that I have these illnesses, but I want to be home with my son and I want to be in my house. And so then we want to ask them, what would you like to do and why did you choose that plan? And she just answered that for us. What I want to do is I want to go home and I'm choosing it because I want to be with my son. So 
we want to make sure that we document the answers to these questions so that we can show that we assessed that the patient has understanding of their problem, that they understand the consequences of whatever they choose. So doing the surgery or not doing the surgery, going home or not going home, that they can explain their reasoning. As in for this patient, she said, I hate nursing homes. I told myself I would never live in a nursing home and I want to live with my son. That was her reasoning for wanting to go home. And then four, we want to make clear that they communicated their wishes. So we're going to document they understand what's happening for them. They understand the consequences of their actions. They can demonstrate their reasoning and they can communicate their wishes. And if we document those things and we assess those things to be true, we can say that person has capacity. And if they have capacity, they have the right to make terrible decisions. So sometimes people get tripped up because they say, well, if she makes that decision, she could die. And the truth is, we all make decisions all the time. And sometimes they're not good for us. People decide to smoke which is a terrible idea. People decide to overeat. People decide to drive too fast or people decide to go driving when it's icy. So people make all kinds of decisions that are not in their best interest. And as long as they understand their situation, understand the consequences of their actions, demonstrate some kind of reasoning and can communicate their wishes, even if the decisions are dumb or bad or not in their best interest, they have the right to make those decisions. So when you're faced with a situation where you feel like, yes, but that's a terrible decision, be okay with the idea that that's okay. They're allowed to make terrible decisions as long as they understand what the consequences are and can express some kind of reasoning about that. So your homework for the week is to see if you come upon a patient who you feel like has a questionable capacity and make sure you have those four questions in your mind. And when you're talking to them, see if you can get a sense of what is their understanding? Do they understand the consequences of their actions? Can they show some kind of reasoning? And can they communicate their wishes? And just get in the habit of checking off those four things when you're assessing somebody who you think is making a questionable decision or who may not be able to make that decision on their own. So thank you so much for being a part of this community. Remember, you can't pour from an empty cup, so be sure to take care of yourself as well as you take care of your patients, and I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Integrative Palliative Podcast brought to you by the Institute for Integrative Palliative Medicine. If you liked what you heard, please give us a like, follow us, tell your colleagues, and join our community at www.tiipm.org. See you next week.